Welcome to Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. This podcast is a collection of historical and philosophical references, contemplations, lectures, and exchanges with David M. Valadez, his students, and guests. Podcasts are recorded on the mat at the Ascension Center in Southern California and in studio. These podcasts are provided to cultivate the warrior on the way and to add light to their path. Okay, so the question or the discussion topic is um, the associated mindset that goes with our our ikkyo, our shomenuchi ikkyo. So in our shomenuchi ikkyo, we make contact with the arm in its yin phase which is we make contact with it as it's going up, okay? Um, just for context, then the reason why I'm saying R is because it's very common uh, to see two other ways of doing it. One is probably more numerically popular, but is totally incorrect. So it's people will catch or make contact or seek to reconcile whatever verbiage you want to use with the strike on its way down. Usually what you see is the uke will be choreographed or either poorly trained so that they're either choreographed to deliver a weak strike so that the, the lack of... Um, yin-yang harmonization is not made obvious. So the clash of yang-yang energy is never overridden, either because uke is choreographed to do a weak strike where they stop striking at nagas contact, or they're just poorly trained where they could never deliver a strong enough strike that would make obvious the yang-yang clash, or in a lot of cases, um, the uke in such demonstrations are smaller people than the nage. So it's not uncommon that you have some giant male overweight person and they're doing the ukemi on a much, or they're doing the technique on a much smaller person. And so in essence, it is a harmonization of uh, yin and yang, because that kind of uke is always going to make that kind of uke yin, even though the strike is coming down. But it still remains inconsistent with Aikido tenets because it is not abiding by the preference for non-contestation. Do you see? Um, so that's one variant, and that is widely, widely popular in terms of if you just count how many people do it that way, that's going to be your majority population. Then your next uh, largest group is one who does not have uke throw shomenuchi. So therefore, there's no downward to the strike because there's no strike. What they do is they have nage initiate either shomenuchi of their own or some kind of feint or some kind of a temi to the face by which uke is then prescribed with a particular reaction. You're going to cross-laterally 
check or block this strike to my face. Do, do you understand? And then that sets up the shomenuchi ikkyo contact, but without a downward pressure to uke's movement, okay? I, I have serious problems with that, as noted in one of the blogs I recently posted, and you could go and read that for further details. Um, but in essence, um, I count this as a non-solution because the problem was taken off the table. You see. So that leaves our version, and th the reason I say our, ours is because those other two segments of the population totally dominate uh, the numerical um, you know, statistic for who does, how do people do ikkyo. Most people do it one of those two ways. Very, 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 very few. Um, and I would like for you to try to find a video of anyone doing it our way where they catch it on the way up, okay? There's several reasons for that, I think, aside from the difficulty, which I think you're, you're noting in your question. Um, yes, it is much more difficult because it takes much more of an Ike adhesion at an immaterial level, which means I must already have a connection with you to some degree before I actually seek a tactile connection. And that is difficult. That requires a mature practice. But there's also um, a lack of understanding of where strikes actually fit into a combative system tactically speaking. In particular, um, they are misunderstood to be much further away. Uh, and strikes just don't happen that far. It's very, very common, even in if you're in a striking art, uh, that beginners or people that do forms or people that do point sparring really have a misconception of the Mai for striking. Their misconception has them starting and ending way out of range still, okay? So when you don't understand the Mai, the proper Mai of striking, as is common in Aikido, people start way, way far away, and that nearly makes it impossible to address that strike on the way up, do you see? So they are forced to address it on the way down, which they do uh, contestation, or they ask uke to don't really strike, okay? Hence the word ours, okay? So um, I already kind of hinted at what is actually necessary. What is actually necessary is that you already have a kind of immaterial Ike adhesion with the person um, from the moment they walk onto the mat to coming in front of you, you should already be seeking that kind of connection, okay? And that connection is what um, precedes the tactile con connection, okay? And this is where you guys see where I move before the, you can actually tell that person has moved, okay? Um, In that relationship, that's actually where your martial vi viability rests, okay? Without it, you are not very martially viable, okay? And this, this would be, um, let's take a patrol strategy. You, you could, you know, have, for example, a sub one second uh, draw of your handgun, of your duty weapon uh, from a level 
two or three retention holster. But if you don't see the suspect or are aware of the suspect's uh, assaultive behavior until two, three seconds into that behavior, your sub one second draw is not going to be viable at all. You're going to lose that. Whereas a person who might have uh, a presentation over a second, maybe even two seconds, but they have that connection, uh, that will suffice, okay? It's a matter of who's starting the race soonest, okay? has a lot to do and is more determining in, in outcome than who's actually running the race faster, okay? If you look at what goes into two law enforcement officers on why one is more aware such that they can start their action earlier and one is less aware such that they start their action later, uh, there's been studies on this. Um, what they basically found is the more years on, the earlier you start. The less years on, the later you start. Even though they do find that the more, the less years on, the faster your draw might be, the more years on, the slower your draw might be. It has to do with age, it has to do with, you know, a lot of people train earlier on in their career and they start letting it uh, fall by the wayside later on in their career. Um, also, later in your career, you probably have rank and you have more of a supervisor role or a desk role, so you're not really running and gunning all the time. So, uh, yet, you will be more viable martially when you find yourself in that kind of situation. So, some of what the studies show is that uh, the first thing is people know what to look for. So, the more experienced officer knows what are pre-violent indicators, know what, how, they, how they look, um, uh, and they can identify them much earlier than the new officer could. Uh, another study actually hooked up um, a scanner that would track the officer's uh, retina. So you could see what is the officer looking at in, in the uh, scenario test. And the new officer is looking all over the place. The eye is going all over the place, trying to process uh, a huge amount of information. Whereas the seasoned officer, their eye doesn't really track every single thing in the room or the scenario or what have you, right? So you can kind of think of it this way, that um, there's some relationship between uh, experience and, and a lack of experience between wisdom, meaning which, which are the pre-violent indicators, and ignorance, unawareness of what, what are the pre-violent indicators. There's that. Um, we've seen also that awareness in other studies is inhibited, um, and we've talked about this recently, when fear is overriding. Again, there are studies of this in law enforcement, and, and any officer or military personnel knows this firsthand, or any kind of emergency worker knows this. Um, you'll see that if the call is hot enough, some people can still function, and other people will go into what is colloquially called a vapor lock, or um, what the military will call, um, let me see if I can think the word, um, task overload, okay? There's just, they can't function because there's too many tasks in their mind 
uh, and they can't make proper decisions, so they cannot uh, d decide upon the correct course of actions. So interestingly, um, I, at one time I asked Mr. Pick, my karate teacher, uh, what fear was. And I was expecting him to speak in terms of, you know, butterflies in your stomach or, or something like that, how we all kind of uh, popularly understand fear. And his answer, which was probably 30 years ago now, uh, went completely over my head at that time. And he said, fear is not knowing what to do. I not, when I look now through a law enforcement career and through those studies as a law enforcement trainer, I can see that the, the relationship between task overload, where it appears you don't know what to do, fear, uh, inability to maintain awareness, those things are so intimately connected that the answer, fear is not knowing what to do, is as good an answer as fear is an egocentric in aware, an ego, egocentric orientation in awareness or a loss of awareness or just freezing or vapor locking. We're all pointing to the same thing, do you see? If you go deeper into warrior traditions, this was always a problem, as it is a problem for modern warriors. Okay? People that are, are putting themselves in that kind of toxic environment on a daily basis. Um, people who cannot afford to get task overloaded. Okay? Um, they're still looking at it, but Warrior traditions going way back in time have looked at this too, and Buddha, of course, therefore looks at it. Um, you could say that the warrior and the monk meet at this crisis of awareness or the loss thereof. Okay? The warrior's martial ability is, um, is based upon an awareness that can survive the stress of combat. And the monk's uh, compassion, let's say, is based upon an awareness that can survive um, that same kind of egocentricity that comes our way out of fear. Uh, what kind of fear? F you know, the, 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 the fear wherein the identity feels threatened. Okay, so this might be, let's, let's take this to a modern relationship. And I remember uh, uh, at a younger age and early on in my marriage, it was like an identity crisis if the dishes were not done by my wife because I had been doing them the last four or five days. Do you see? And your ego goes and starts um, projecting forward in time where you picture the next 40, 50 years of this inconsideration happening, and there's no way you can survive, do you see? Do you get it? And so that kind of fear sets in. It's all about me as a result of the fear, and they kind of support each other mutually. My, my dread of this decades of inconsideration is supporting my egocentricity, and my egocentricity is supporting uh, that dread of decades of inconsideration. And what do I lose track of? The fact that the dishes are really no big deal. Do you see? So what does the warrior and the monk 
say on this common ground? Well, the problem is that egocentricity. Okay. I cannot maintain awareness, so I cannot respond accordingly. I cannot know what to do or do what needs to be done when my awareness goes egocentric. And it will go egocentric when I feel that fear, and that fear will make it go egocentric. So the experienced law enforcement officer, if you measure their heart rate, for example, other kinds of physiological signs associated with fear, sweat, perspiration, um, auditory exclusion, tunnel vision, you don't see that in the seasoned officer who is able to perform and not get task overloaded. But you do see it in the new officer or even in a seasoned officer who, does, who, is, not being, who is going task overloaded and uh, is going egocentric and losing awareness and their retina is tracking too many things in this hot call. Do you see? Well, that is what's happening to us when we're doing Shomanuchi Ikkyo. The... the person comes, and I feel threatened by this strike. Um, there's a part of me that really thinks uh, that we avoid that threat, or that threat is so uncomfortable, and that is why you really have the two other versions and why they're so dominant in the Aikido population, right? Because they're not really threatening, in the most popular uh, version, the uke is not really striking. Well, I don't feel so bad now, right? And in the other version, I make uke not strike, so there's no threat either, okay? I think that it's not really a, a, a reasonable conclusion that is reached, and therefore these versions are cited upon. I think instead that they are... Um, consistent with how we don't like to be uncomfortable, so we choose training paradigms that don't make us uncomfortable. But in our version, it's going to make you uncomfortable because that strike is coming, do you see? And when you're uncomfortable, when that fear sets in, the, e the awareness goes egocentric, and I cannot establish that um, that immaterial connection with the person. I can't. And so the strike always comes, and I'm always reacting to the strike. Reacting means the strike is ahead of me. And this is not what we're doing. We're asking to, to become one with the strike. Do you see? And so it's very, very difficult, but in the same way, it is that difficulty that makes it not only martially viable, but also spiritually viable. As a, as a training tool, do you see? If it does not make me uncomfortable, if it does not in and of itself take my current me and force me into a, the, that kind of fear-based reaction mode of being, then it cannot train me past that and out of that, okay? So if you look at these warrior traditions, there's always an an emphasis and a whole series of practices designed around an emptying of self, a releasing of self, do you see? It could be, for example, um, the warrior mantra of the way of the warrior is the way of death. 
What, what is that telling you? This is just a cut to the chase, dude. Cut to the end where you had the ultimate release. Do you see? Or even um, the emphasis on humility and service in warrior traditions. Do you see? Or uh, service over self or self-displacement. So warrior cultures will always have that. And those are all self-displacing, self-releasing practices. And they're in your dojo etiquette here. We follow those same rules, okay? We don't follow those rules out of moral code. We follow those rules because they're self-releasing tools, do you see? And by them, you come to be comfortable with releasing the self. Because the ego is telling you that it's dangerous to release the self. And modern culture is convinced of that. You see, and, and in, that, in that being convinced, modern culture has separated itself from the wisdom traditions of our ancient past. That means systems that for centuries upon centuries, cross-culturally, globally, have said this is the best way for human beings to live. Modern cultures have come to the conclusion that a release of self, a letting go of the ego, is a dangerous thing for you. Why? Why? I, I would say it's the same reason why uh, most of the Aikido population practices in one of those two ways. It's very uncomfortable. So we're going to warp reality to fit what we're comfortable with now. But it's only uncomfortable for the ego, for the egocentric. And the fact that it is uncomfortable is never going to make egocentricity martially viable or spiritually viable. They forget about that part. So what you're doing is very much akin to uh, this, the, the letting go of self, the releasing of self, making yourself a vessel. Then you can become sensitive enough you see, you're, you're like, mm, what is that? You're talking about ESP? I don't want to go that far. I, wanna, I want to say that your retina chills out. Do you see? You, you just understand that broadly. You're not so um, going all over the place from one fear and one threat to the other because you're not experiencing reality as a threat. Reality is simply uh, information by which you utilize to do what needs to be done, like the seasoned law enforcement officer. So when you come in with Shomenuchi, when the uke comes in with that, I need them to do that strike. That is how I experience the yin-yang harmonization. I don't experience it as I got to get it, get it, catch it going up before it comes down. That's the threat experience, you see. So immediately from a release of self, from a non-egocentric perspective, from an emptying of self, the strike, the moment, the pairing is experienced entirely differently. And in that, concentrically, I can, and only then, I can blend with that strike. Do you see? That's what makes it work. Otherwise, what you find is you're waiting for it. You're dreading it. You're trying to avoid it. 
right? And then your calculating mind comes in, which can only come in egocentrically. This is the only way it can, and dichotomously. The calculating mind is always a dichotomous mind. And as a dichotomous mind, it always has a positive and a negative, something you prefer and something you avoid. And in that dichotomy, the ego is born. Do you see that? And so when all that happens, you start calculating, what do you do? You go like, oh, that one was late. Now you go early. Well, now you're early right? Now, now I go later. Now you're late. You, you can't ever get it because the initial fusion of your person and their person cannot take place that way. The experience, do you understand? The experience of that space-time cannot happen because the ego is involved, dichotomy manifests itself, and now you're on a preference avoidance spectrum. And there's no communion between you and uke or between your movement and their movement. Of course, this becomes all the more important in something like Jiwaza or some sort of sparring or some sort of live training environment, right? But only if you can't do it. If you can do it, it all gets easier. It's just one big fusion everywhere without the prescription that you need to fuse with ikkyo at the end. Do you see that? You're just doing blends all the time. You're just doing aiki adhesions all the time. And they all start at an immaterial level before they start at a material level. Okay? That is very interesting because, as you know, Budo is based on a concentric epistemology. So... The, the process by which that happens, in other words, let's say, the process by which the immaterial aiki happens is the process by which the material aiki happens. Do you see? But it's also the same process by which, if we take O-sensei's discourse, it is also the very process by which divine communion happens. It is an emptying of yourself, a releasing of yourself, um, and if you look at the wisdom traditions, if you look at the mystical traditions, that is exactly what they say. Okay? You, you, in other words, you do not make an Aiki adhesion happen. You release the self and the adhesion manifests. Do you see? So you want a divine communion. You, if you try for the divine communion... You're filled with a self. You have an aim. You have an intention. Better be in divine communion than not be in divine communion. And so you have your dichotomy, do you see? And you have your preference avoidance spectrum. So your ego is manifested. Now you're, you're basically you are a filled cup. The divine cannot enter you. So if you look at the wisdom traditions, the mystic traditions, what you see is your responsibility is the practice of releasing the self. Then the aiki adhesion, the adhesion, the communion, it happens on its own. So sometimes when we're doing shomenuchi ikkyo, we have such a drive to get the adhesion, the tactile adhesion, to match their upward energy with our upward energy, but you don't realize now it can't work. It cannot work now. Okay? You're always calculating. 
You're always in a dichotomous relationship, so you are always reactionary to what is happening. There's no immaterial aiki communion happening, okay? So uh, where do I get this? Where do I get this skill and release? I'm telling you, it's, you probably will not get it in shomenuchi ikkyo, okay? Because there's that rule that I always tell you, that kind of law, which is the, the more the cultivation drill requires the cultivated aspect, the less likely you will, cultiv- you, will, you will get that cultivation in that drill, okay? It's, it's just too difficult. You need to cultivate that skill elsewhere. So where do you cultivate a releasing of self? Well, it's in your etiquette, do you see? When you can follow your etiquette in the dojo as, as if you are breathing, do you see, without task overload, Without a mystery of what you should do. Remember how many mysteries we had already on this morning and and earlier this evening. Like, which sword do I use? It's like, it's not a mystery until the ego gets involved. Then it's a mystery, you see. But when I can follow the dojo etiquette as easily and as, as without the intellect as when I breathe, then I am becoming skilled in release of self, do you see? And that is... I can follow the etiquette without release of self, do you see? And therefore, it is easier to cultivate release of self in the following of the etiquette. Okay. But when you move to Shomenuchi, it's a little harder, just as it's a little harder when I go to a Jiwaza or a live training environment, unless I have the skill. If I have the skill, each of those environments get easier as I go along. Okay? Um, any follow-up? Questions on that or discussion points? Yes? Sensei, uh, one of the techniques from last week um, where we were doing Kuku, not Kuku, sorry, Yuri Minabe from Yakuhamu and Yukuni Kitten, when you said to feel their their feast when when Nabe is bringing them around, and I just could not find. Yeah. Um, and it, it sounds like what you're talking about with finding the immaterial. Yes. I could not feel that at all. Yeah, and, and so the, the, the question here was we were doing Tachiwaza, Yakuhanmi, Katatadori, Idiminage, and the instruction at that time was feel for Uke's feet and it was very re, the reason the instruction was given is because you could I could tell nobody was making contact with their feet. Where was contact being made? Uh, the, the side of yeah, the at the hand, at the neck. Do you see? Um, not going through their center, but in essence, not going beyond my physical frame. Do you see that? Okay, and this immaterial connection that you have before the strike is thrown is a connection that happens beyond your physical frame. Do you see? And so when you're doing this katatazori iriminage, it's at the neck because that's where your hand is and that's where your person stops. Do you see? Um, So even... Even in every one of our techniques, 
because the technique must pass through their center. Do you see? And it's very, very seldom that I'm actually physically touching their center. This, there is an immaterial connection that still is part of my technique. Do you see? It goes beyond my frame and beyond where my hands are touching them. Do you get that? So even in that kind of technique, this same skill is what allows us to, to do the Aikido techniques properly. Otherwise, what I do is I'm just bending over somebody at the head, which, you know, it works if I'm strong enough. I always tell you that, um, but it is not the art, okay? Why I give you that kind of caveat is, uh, look, if you're defending yourself, slam their freaking head. Do you get it? But when you're training... You're trying to approximate the art, the art's ideals. You're trying to use and learn the art's tenets, okay? You're not trying to um, decide whether you, you gain some victory over uke. And this remains true whether you're doing kihon waza or jiu waza or sparring or what have you, okay? Your partner in the dojo is not the apex by which you measure yourself, okay? But yes, that is exactly the same. Okay, very, very much the same. Okay. The other place where we do this releasing skill, but I find it, again, it's very challenging because it is more needed, is, of course, in your, in your zazen, okay. in the zazen as well. Um, I think you'll, you'll find it more, if you can truly follow the dojo etiquette, you know, with monitoring yourself for reactivity, whether it be, I don't want to do this, or they didn't do it, or I feel really good about myself because I did it. Do you see that? All this is the dichotomous um, experience of reality and the ego is present. It's not a releasing of self. It needs to be as non-intellectual as breathing. Okay? Uh, Zazen can uh, require it more. Of course, a stubborn person can sit for quite a while. Do you see? But that is not what I'm talking about. Okay? There's no quite a while to the person that knows how to release themselves. They're just sitting. Okay? But you will need it um, when your stubbornness runs out. You will need the skill. You see, so zazen has to keep going longer and longer and longer, especially when we're stubborn. Okay, there's people, especially in the martial traditions. You know, you you guys have built up grit and toughness, and you're like, I'm I'll push my way through this session. Do do you know what I mean? But this is not zazen. Okay, so I would start with etiquette. Okay. Um. I, I remember in, you know, even when I, in my job, there's a strong utilization of service, of servitude, you see. Um, and again, if you look at those wisdom traditions, they will always talk about the importance of service. And they will always talk about um, he who is last is first, Okay. So in, in my uh, dojo, you know, um, I would try, uh, when I was a deshi, you know, I would try to 
tempt myself with the reactivity, you see? So I would uh, try to do more and more and more and more without letting rise in me the awareness that I'm doing more, do you see? Or I would do the things that no one else wanted to do without letting in letting that awareness that no one wants to do this arise in me. And I still continue that on into my law enforcement um, position. It's like you, you, you can make everything in your life a kind of self-releasing practice, okay? And again, you always know my caveat, be careful when you take it out into the real world and because if you are only... If you have a pseudo-self-release, you will feel attacked by everyone else, do you see? But if you have a true self-release, there's no place for the, the tiger's claw or the rhino's horn to pierce you, okay? And the same thing goes on in your, uke, in your facing of uke. It doesn't matter what uke does. It's perfect. It's perfect. It's exactly what needs to be there. Okay, so why don't we try this uh, the Shomonuchi Ikkyo? But I would like you to do it from a self-observing point of view. Do you get it? it in other words, it, instead of trying to get the technique right, I want you to go. Oh, I'm trying. I can feel myself trying to get it right. Do you see? Or you'll feel you're holding your breath or your pulse is going up or your mind is starting to race between options and dichotomies and things like that. And you now know what that is, okay? Do you get it? Uh, so let's do that, the first part. And then the second part, let's see what happens um, if we do some of the releasing skills that we have developed. So pay attention to those parts of the body that you've been trained to release um, and then see what we get uh, when, that, when we do that, okay? And see if we can do that in the face of uke coming in or I can't because I'm stuck on the first drill, all right? Okay, let's go. Okay, so that looked much better. Um, and you were able to, I could see you're, you're practicing that releasing technique, okay? But something to consider. So the reactive way of being, the, that ego tripartite, where there's my identity, there's that dichotomy, and then that avoidance preference spectrum. When that is functioning, you're basically living in a push-pull world. You see, the person pushes on you, you push on them. They pull on you, you pull on them. Okay. Uh, everything is a contest. Everything is attack, right? And so you have uh, un with unconsciously associated that with fighting, aggression, tension. Um, and what happens is when you're first trying this way of responding, this way of being, you bounce to the opposite of that. So you, you become mushy. Your technique is not strong. It's soft and slow. 
And uh, you have to wonder why, why is no self requiring a form at all, even the form opposite of that reactionary, aggressive, stiff, muscling. Why does it require the opposite of that? No self does not require a form. Do you see? So I can do no self in muscle flexion. Do you see? I don't need non-muscle flexion to do no self. If my no self requires non-muscle flexion, guess what? It's not no self. It's just mushy. Okay. Uh, I hate to refer to uh, Hollywood, but this movie was based upon these wisdom traditions. And if you remember the part in The Matrix where, um, what is his name? Morpheus is asking Neo, why are you not winning? Why can't you beat me? And he says, you're too fast. And then he says back to him, do you really think speed exists here? Do you see? And that, this is the same problem. You really think no self has to have this relaxed, mushy form? No, not true at all, okay? So um, this is why when we do these techniques, it is my technique is soft because there's that preference for non-contestation and there is that harmonization of yin and yang, but I, whenever I tell you, go ahead and push on me, you're not going to push me over. There's still a structural integrity amidst the yin-yang harmonization and amidst the non-contestation. Your technique was mushy. Do you see? It would not stand the test of this pressure. Which means what I would predict as a teacher is if we had the uke up the intensity of the strike, you would just go right back onto the other side of that spectrum where you would be reacting with this muscle tension and overpowering and lateness and disconnection, etc. Okay? So try to remember um, what we said here, but particularly this last point. No self means no form. It has no shape particular to it, okay? Which, which do, you, do you understand that? It means, uh, you know, a lot of times, you, this is where the hippie Jesus misunderstandings of these wisdom tradition come in, that you can have no self as you're cutting someone's head off. Do you see? It's not that no self only exists when I'm putting a daisy in the soldier's rifle end. Do you see? Okay, so you're trying to do your art, but it's just mushy now. It's hippie Jesus. Do you see? This, try to remember all those examples where I say, push on me. Do you see? We've done it too where we, we've had the, another person come up, push from the back of me. Do you see? And you can't, there's, a, there's an integrity to it. Okay. So don't confuse no self with mushy with softness, weakness. That's not true. That's just the other side of a reactive, dichotomous, egocentric mind. Okay? All right.
This concludes this episode of Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. For more information, please visit sentiencenter.com, S-E-N-S-H-I-N-C-E-N-T-E-R.com, or find us at Facebook at Sentient Center and on our YouTube channel at Sentient One. Thank you for listening.